Good morning, Whitestone. Good morning to our brothers and sisters uh, watching online. Uh, man, this was beautiful. This was beautiful. The blood of Christ, the gospel, the mystery of, of the gospel. This was beautiful. Uh, we are in our third week into our series, With Love and Corruptible. And today we're going to pick up right where we left off last Sunday. And our passage for today is going to be Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Okay, so if you have your Bible, open it to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. And before we do that, before we dig into our passage this morning, I wanted us to, to look back and reflect on what we talked about last Sunday, okay? So last Sunday, we talked about Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and we talked about the reality that before Christ, we were dead in our transgressions and sins, right? And Christ came and made us alive in him. So we talked about the fact that we were dead in our transgressions. Paul is writing to the people of the church of Ephesus, and, and he's telling them that before Christ, you were dead. Notice that he didn't tell them that before Christ, you had an alcohol problem. Christ came, he fixed your alcohol problem, and now you're sober all the time. You don't drink anymore. Notice that he didn't say that before Christ, we had a lust problem. Christ came, fixed that lust problem, and now we don't struggle with lust anymore. Uh, notice it didn't say that before Christ, we had a pride problem, right? And now Christ came, fixed our pride, and now we're humble people. It doesn't say that before Christ, we were always sad and depressed. Christ came, he fixed our sadness and depression, and now we're always happy and smiley. It doesn't say that here. I'm afraid that's the model that a lot of us use when we share our testimony. Before Christ, I was this bad guy. Christ came, he fixed me, now I'm a pretty good guy, right? But the text says, before Christ, we were dead in our transgressions and sins. That means that we were dead. We had no life in us. We knew no other way. We were dead and drowned in our sins and transgressions, right? We were dead. We didn't have any life in us. We were enslaved to the cravings and desires of our flesh. We weren't drowning. We were drowned in our sins and transgressions. We weren't just bad people. We were dead people walking around. And Christ came. He made us alive. Although we were dead, he made us alive in him. Now, now I, I think it's really important to, to keep this in mind as we move on here and, and, and talk about the other realities here, the riches in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your grace this morning, the grace that we just sang about. We're overwhelmed by your grace, Father. Your grace found us when we were dead in our sins, when we didn't know any other way, when we were drowned. You came and rescued us from our sins. You made us alive. 
And Father, we thank you that we have life in us today. Life that nothing else can give, nobody else can give but you. And Father, we're thankful, we're grateful, we're overwhelmed by the love that you love us with. And Father, as we read your word today and meditate on your word, and Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to the riches and glories and beauty of your word here, Father, and that we would leave this place changed. We thank you, we love you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through uh, 22. So, uh, as we read here, we're going to basically talk about two things. We're going to talk about the nature of the church, and we're going to talk about God's purpose for the church. So, the nature of the church and God's purpose for the church. Let's read. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's, with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Okay. So Paul moves on here from talking to the whole church, right? In verses 1 through 10, he's talking to both groups, right? Both Jews and Gentiles, telling them that, hey guys, before Christ you were dead in your sins, now you have been, you have been made alive in him. And now he's talking directly from verses 11 through 22 here, specifically to the Gentiles and the church, right? So he starts here by telling them, guys, remember who you are, you Gentiles, before Christ. Now, the Jews back then, they thought they knew of themselves as God's peculiar people, right? 
Uh, they were God's people. And anybody else, if you were anybody else but Jews, you were not God's people. And in a sense, the Jews were right because God did choose the Jews. And if you look here, when Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, and I'll read this really quickly for you. John chapter 4, verse 21, 22. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. So God decreed that salvation would come from the Jews. So in a sense, the Jews were right, but what they failed to see was that God was going to make salvation available to everybody, to all the Gentiles, not just the Jews. Now salvation was available to anyone who would believe and would call on the name of Christ. And Paul is talking to the Gentiles here. He tells them before Christ, remember that at that time, verse 12, you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel, right? You weren't God's chosen people. You weren't Jews. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. You were foreigners to the covenant of the promise. But worst of all, not only were you foreigners to the covenant of the promise, not only were you excluded from the citizenship in Israel, not only were you separate from Christ, Paul is telling them here, you were without hope and without God in the world. You were hopeless and godless. You had nothing good going on for you here. Excluded from citizenship in Israel, you were hopeless, godless, foreigners of the covenants of the promise. And you can see the parallel here. When, God, when Paul is talking to everybody here at the church, he, tell, he, he, tells, he tells them that you were dead in your transgressions and, and sins. And he's telling the Gentiles here basically the same thing. You are hopeless and godless before Christ. But look at verse 13 here. Pastor Brock did a wonderful job talking about the but God moments, right? But God, out of his grace. But verse 13 here, but now, right? You were foreigners. You were excluded from Christ. You were hopeless and godless. But now, you Gentiles, this is applicable to all of us here because we all here are Gentiles. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who are once far away, verse 13, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Right? You have been brought near by what? The blood of Christ. Christ saved us here, the parallel in verse 8. It is by grace you have been saved. Same thing here, you Gentiles. You have been brought near, although you were foreigners, excluded from citizenship of, of Israel, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ, not because of anything that you've done, but because of the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one. One thing that I want us to see here is that the church consists, first of all, of people who have been reconciled to God by his grace, right? individual people, Jews and Gentiles alike, who have been reconciled to God by his grace. 
first thing here. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now, the Jews and Gentiles weren't friends. They were enemies, right? Uh, if, if, you were, if you were a Gentile, you were to brush up against a, a Jew, that Jew was declared ceremonially unclean. They would have to be ceremonially cleansed, right? They were enemies. But now what happens here in, in verse 14 is that Christ made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So the second thing that we see here is that the church consists of people who have been reconciled to each other, right? People who have been individuals who have been reconciled to God first. Secondly, individuals who have been reconciled to each other. And he did that by setting aside in his flesh, verse 15, the law with its commands and regulations. Again, the Jews and Gentiles were reconciled to each other, not because of any peace agreement that they signed, but because of Christ setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands. Again, because of his grace. He reconciled us all here, individuals, to himself, and he reconciled us to one another because of his grace and mercy. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. So two things we've seen here. Christ reconciled individual people to himself. Second thing, he reconciled us to one another as the church. Verse 16, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. Now, not only that Christ has reconciled the Jews and Gentiles to one another, but he has united the Jews and Gentiles into one body, right? Not, not only that not they're supposed to be friends because Christ has reconciled them together, but now they're one body. This is us, the church. We are one body, the body of Christ. We're reconciled to God individually. We're reconciled to one another, and now we are one body. We're reconciled individuals who have been united into one body, and it's the body of Christ, verse 16. And in one body to reconcile both of them, Jews and Gentiles, to God. And how did he do it? What was the instrument? It's through the cross. He reconciled us individuals by his grace, reconciled us to one another by his grace, reconciled individuals like us. He put us together into one body by his grace through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And he came, verse 17, and preached peace to you who are far away, you Gentiles, and peace to those who are near, you Jews. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. No matter where you're from today, no matter what your race is, your ethnicity, your background, you have access to God by his spirit here through Jesus Christ. And we are one body. Whitestone Church is one assembly among many other assemblies. In Christ, we are one. We are the body of Christ, reconciled individuals who have been united into one body with Christ being the head. The church, we are not a 
geographically defined group of people. We're not an ethnically defined group of people. We are not a nationally defined group of people. The body of Christ, we're spread all over the world and we're united by Christ into one body by his grace. We represent a different kingdom, a superior kingdom. Christ came not to give us physical victory here. That's what the Jews were expecting, that the, the Messiah would come and help them conquer the Roman Empire. But Christ came to establish a superior kingdom in which we all here are members and Christ. Now Paul has talked to the Jews. You were Gentiles. You were foreigners. You were excluded from the citizenship in Israel. You were hopeless and godless, but Christ has brought you near by his grace. And verse 19, consequently, as a consequence, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. But what are you? What are you now? Fellow citizens. You are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. This is us, us all here, right? We were once foreigners. We didn't know Christ. We were dead in our sins and, and transgressions. We didn't know him. We were excluded from citizenship in Israel. We were total foreigners. But Christ came and reconciled us to himself, reconciled us to the people of God, made us one body with the people of God, and now we're no longer strangers and foreigners here. We are fellow citizens in the kingdom of God, all of us here. If we have put our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, we are now fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. We now represent God's household and the foundation is the apostles and prophets, meaning that the apostles, apostles and prophets were people that God anointed to do his work and to write his word, right? So it literally means here that the foundation here is the word of God, and Jesus is the chief cornerstone of that house. And in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. I see justification here in verse 21 that in Christ now we have been joined together and we are now God's holy temple. Right? Not because of anything that we've done, not because of our performance, because our performance goes up and down. It's very unstable. But we are now God's people positionally in Christ because of what Christ did on the cross. Now we are God's household. And verse 22, in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Not only are we God's household here, complete positionally because of what Christ did, but we're also growing together as his body, as his household. We're working together. There's no place for division among us because we are Christ's body. The members of the body work together to accomplish whatever the mind determines. Christ is the mind of the church, the head of the church, and he determines what the members of the body accomplishes. 
We are the body of Christ. The body of Christ representing a superior kingdom. Performing whatever the head, the mind, Jesus Christ determines. Now, what does the mind determine? What does Christ, what is, what is Christ's purpose for the church? I think we see it here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. I think Mark talked about it the first week here in our series. Let's flip it back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, verse 9 and 10. It says, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us, talking about Christ, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good, to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. What is that purpose? To bring unity, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That is the purpose here, right? To bring unity, the purpose of the church, God's purpose for the church. God's ultimate purpose here is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And as the body of Christ, as members of the body of Christ here, how do we do that? How do we contribute to the accomplishment of this grand vision, this grand purpose, which is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ? It's really simple. The great commission that we all are familiar with. We preach the gospel, we make disciples, and we baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, plain and simple. That is how we contribute to the accomplishment of the grand vision here, grand purpose that God has of putting everything, bringing unity to all things in heaven and on earth under his son, Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of the church. We're not a group of conservatives and, and, and Democrats and Republicans and Democrats, we're not that. We're the body of Christ, and as the, as the body of Christ, the members of the body of Christ, we do what the mind determines. We represent a superior kingdom here, right? And our purpose is to preach the gospel, make disciples, and baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. This is who we are, a united people. People, individuals that have been reconciled to God individually, people that have been reconciled to one another, and people, reconciled people, that have been united into one body, which is the body of Christ. Now, if, if we agree on all of this, and, and we better do, this is the word of God, and just like Pastor Brock said last week in a much deeper voice, uh, let's, let's, <laughs> let's confess and let's get to work. Let's pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for your grace, for your mercy again, for your word this morning, Father. We thank you that there's no confusion in your word, God. There's, there's unity in your word, Father. The structure in your word. The division is in our mind. If there's division, it's in our mind. It's among us. As, as people, but there's no division here in your word. And Father, we pray that we would be united around this grand purpose here that you have to bring unity in all things in heaven and on earth under your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that we would be 
all about fulfilling the great commission here that you've given us, which is to preach the gospel, make disciples and baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And Father, we pray that you would change us. We pray, Father, that your grace would change us, Father. We pray that your mercy would change us. We pray, Father, that we would go out changed, passionate about what you're passionate about. As members of the body of Christ, we pray, Father, that we would be committed, committed to doing what the mind, Jesus Christ, determines. We thank you, we love you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name.